Welcome to the W2 Prison Break Show, a podcast and YouTube series hosted by real estate investor, author, and coach Brian O'Neill. Tune in each week as we interview business owners who have successfully planned and executed their W2 Prison Break. You'll hear their stories, learn about their challenges, and what ultimately pushed them over the edge and gave them the courage to break free. Most importantly, you'll discover they are not much different than you. Listen in each week as we give you useful insights and action items to start your W-2 prison break and get you on the path you are always meant to be on. All right, welcome back, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we got a great show for you today. I know I say that every week, but we do have a great show for you today. And we're going to be speaking with Luke Andrews. He's a real estate investor who sells, he leads, and he invests. And he's a best-selling author. He's purchased 40 rental properties before turning 40. So the 40 before 40, that's pretty awesome. And he's got a passion to changing lives through real estate. He's got a great W-2 prison break story that we're going to dive into today and a lot of insight around that and how he was able to overcome his fears and his challenges to break out of his W-2 and follow his passion. Stay tuned. Enjoy the episode. Luke, welcome to the show. Appreciate you spending the time with us today. Looking forward to chatting with you. So excited to be here, Brian. Yeah, thanks. It's a great day. It's Friday. And you know, before we get into your W-2 prison break story, which everyone is just, you know, anxious to hear, maybe give us a little bit of a background to expand on the introduction that I gave there about, you know, who you are, how you got started, and ultimately, you know, what led you to where you are today. Sure. I'm Luke Andrews in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm a husband and father of two very active with my kids, kind of coaching their sports teams and, you know, running a few businesses on the side. I am a, you know, former prisoner to the W-2. So like many of the listeners on here, I was in a corporate nine to five that I didn't really love, but felt kind of attached because you know, as well as I do that the mortgage company and the grocery store, they don't accept good feelings and hugs. They want cold, hard cash, right? Mm. It was like every time I built this plan, like, okay, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave. And every time I would go and say, I'm ready to put in my notice, I would get a promotion or a raise. They were just like these small little stair steps. They were just enough to keep me around. And finally, one day I just had enough and realized it was like, hey, even if they offered me, you know, eight to 10% a year, which most companies are not, that stair step growth isn't going to be enough to fulfill what I'm looking to do. And I knew I'd have to take a step back for a couple of years. But like I said, I had a corporate nine to five. My wife was a real estate agent at the time. She was a licensed realtor and I was commuting back and forth from downtown to the suburbs. And she said, you know, it would be fantastic if you had your license and you could just stop on your way home from work and show these properties at five o'clock. So she didn't have to go out during rush hour. And, you know, we kind of laughed about it, but I was also in the process of starting to build up a portfolio of investment properties. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what, it does maybe make sense to get my real estate license. It'll help out with the investment side. I can help her. Maybe it'll help just kind of scratch that entrepreneurial itch. And where I thought that it would just kind of satisfy just being able to do it part-time, 
I fell in love instantly and I needed more and more and more of it. Like I said, every time I'd get up the nerve to leave my, you know, cushy six figure job with the benefits and the 401ks and bonuses and everything else, they'd give me a little raise. And finally, one day I said, you know what? I've had enough. I had a plan put in place. I knew that I would probably take a step back in income for at least two years, had that planned. And I took a leap of faith and my wife and I went out, we were both in real estate. So we were both 1099 employees or not, not employees, but 1099 entrepreneurs. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Love to share. Give us kind of the timeline of how long you were in W2 and what was maybe like the back, you keep saying I had enough, I had enough. Like what was it? Was there anything specific that kind of brought you over the edge there? Well, to answer your first question, how long I was W, I was W2 my entire career. I mean, mm-hmm. from the time I got out of college, I had done some sales jobs and stuff. So, I mean, I had a inkling of what it was like to work mostly for commission, but I was always a W2 with that little safety net of a base salary. But when you ask what was finally enough, I think it's when, you know, you have those moments, if you remember the movie Office Space, where it was just like, everything was just so mundane, but it was, we were literally in a meeting to plan the next meeting. And when I made a complaint about, hey, you know, we're doing these, we're having meetings when all these things could be taken care of over email. People were pulling me aside at the office and saying, oh, hey, I was just going to send you an email, but since we're both here and there's a room free over there, why don't we just go meet about this in person? I didn't have enough time to get my work done during the day because I was in pointless meetings that I was having to take it home with me. And I figure if I'm going to be taking it home with me anyway, I might as well be working for myself and not making somebody else rich. Oh, I love it. I love it. Something similar happened to me. I remember those corporate meetings that were just like, what are we doing? Why am I flying to a different state for three days? And we're talking about the same thing over and over and nothing ever gets done. We're going to be right back here next year. And the same, we're going to talk about the same thing. Right. Yeah, I get it. I get it. So meetings upon meetings, but you were building this rental portfolio while you were still employed, if I heard you correctly. That's correct. Let me talk a little bit about that. And then I want to go into your plan because that resonated with me big time was you had a plan, like you prepared for this. It wasn't just like you just went in one day and just said, I'm done and I'm not coming in tomorrow. You planned for this. So talk about the rental portfolio, how you built that and why you chose real estate. And then let's get into the plan that you put together. Sure. So my rental portfolio, my wife and I, we built our first house in 2006, shortly after we got married. And, you know, that was kind of the height of the market. Hmm. And then when the market crashed a couple of years later, we were starting to have kids and we were actually in a spot where we needed to upgrade to get something a little larger. The timing was fortunate for us that we had good enough jobs, good enough credit, that we had the ability to still get financed as many people you know, weren't quite in the same boat in addition to that. So everything was on sale. So we were able to upgrade cheaper and we were also in a position that we were able to keep our first house mm. as a rental so we could carry both notes. And the market was just flooded with good quality candidates who just got into a bad loan and just needed a place to live. So that was our first kind of dipping our toe in the water into the rental properties. And we eventually moved states, but we kept that rental property. And working in my corporate nine to five, I had a good friend that I was working with. And, you know, we were always talking about, hey, we need to buy some investment properties. We think it's a good idea. You know, we've read the rich dad, poor dad, and we see the benefits to it. So 
our plan was to buy, you know, there was an up and coming neighborhood, you know, around 2015 that you could still get a nice small house that needed a decent amount of work for around 20,000. So we were going to pay cash, do the work ourselves, and then kind of use the Burr method, the buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. We were going to use that method and then just slowly start to grow. But as we're searching, you know, for this $20,000 property that we could purchase on our own, a package of 13 rentals fell into our lap. We had an opportunity to get 13 units and we knew it was a fantastic deal. What we didn't know was how in the hell we were going to accomplish it. Mm -hmm. We didn't have the resources. We didn't have the contacts. We didn't have the money, frankly, to be able to put down on it. We didn't know how to manage it, what to do. We didn't know any of it. So we just found people that had done similar things in the past. We found very smart people who had done something similar. And we said, hey, if you don't mind, lay out your roadmap for us. And what I found is most people who have done that are more than happy to share their knowledge and wisdom with you. And so they kind of walked us through. They gave us some introductions to some good people. And one of them actually ended up partnering with us, which really helped out because we, like I said, we didn't have quite enough cash, even with bringing on a partner to be able to take on this deal. Although we knew it was a good investment, we just, we could have easily said it's a great opportunity, just not the right time. But instead of saying we can't afford it, we said, how can we afford it? And we found some creative ways to come up with the cash. And then that portfolio really just grew from there. So buying and selling a few pieces out of there, I had an opportunity to buy another package of 15 that came up and then just little one-offs here and there in some different areas. And it really just started growing. You and I talked about before the show, I'd set a goal a while back that I wanted to be able to purchase 40 investment properties before I turned 40. And I just closed on number 40 about a month and a half ago. And I turned 40 here in about six weeks. So squeaking in under the wire there. Awesome. Hey, you hit it. Congrats. And it sounds like you had a couple of portfolio deals here, 13, 15. And I don't want to say those fell into your lap. I know you don't believe that either. It's by being active and you really got resourceful to get those deals done. And maybe talk about, did you buy those creatively? Did you buy those, you know, with all bank debt? I mean, maybe talk about, I'd be curious to how you found them and then how you purchased them. Sure. So we found them, as I said, I had a close friend who we were going to do this together. Mm -hmm. He was having dinner with his girlfriend's parents. And they had some friends over and, you know, of course the topics always come up. What do you do? What are you interested in? And, you know, it was fresh on his mind and he was talking about, we're looking to buy some rental properties. And they said, oh, well, interestingly enough, we have a large portfolio that we're in the process of liquidating because we want to retire and move to Colorado. And so it just, I say fell into our laps. It kind of did. Because they somewhat knew us, they agreed to not put them out on the open market and give us a little bit of time to figure it out. They were not interested in owner financing because that was kind of our first question is, are you interested in doing owner financing? Simple makes it easy. They weren't. They needed the lump sum in cash. And so that's when we started going out to people that we know who had done it before. And through talking with one of these guys, he said, well, hey, why don't I come in? myself and another guy, we can be a partner with you and we'll be 50, 50 partners. They brought us some relationships with a lender that, but we still needed the 20% down. And really, I guess 
for myself and my friend, we needed the 10% because we were splitting at 50, 50. Yeah. We didn't have it. And again, we were kind of at that roadblock and I came up with this kooky plan and I brought it to everybody and I said, well, Hey, would you all be willing to make up the difference of what we're short? Because we had about 5%, we needed 10. I said, would you all be willing to make up that difference? Keep us at 50, 50 partners and we will agree to manage the properties at no cost on a schedule until that's paid back. So basically 10% of the rent that we collected, we would do it for free until that 5% was paid off. Everybody thought that was a great idea. We were going to have to pay a property manager anyway. And myself and my friend, my business partner, we didn't know what we were doing. So this was a great opportunity for us to one, be able to purchase property that we had no business purchasing. And two, we learned a ton managing these properties. We learned so much, so many valuable lessons that we're still taking with us today. And honestly, we had that 5% paid back within about nine months. We thought it was going to take us 14 or 15. We turned over all the rents. We had it paid back within eight or nine months. And at that point, we had a decision to make. We said, well, hey, we can now go out and we can hire a property manager or we can keep doing it. And that can be a source of revenue for us Mm -hmm. that we can keep socking away capital. So as the next deals come along, we have cash set aside that we can jump on them. And then that's when the package of 15 came along. It actually came through the other two gentlemen that we were partnered with. And they said, well, hey, you guys have done a great job. Are you interested in partnering with us on this? We had the cash we've been saving and we said, let's do it. Beautiful. You were ready for it. Okay. So you built up this portfolio. You have income coming in every month, passive income, which is a great thing. And you've got a little bit of a runway. So when did you start thinking about leaving the job? And then again, you talked about the plan. You know, you have to take a step back. You're actually, sounds like you're going to take less money and be able to live. So expand on that a little bit if you could. Sure. So for me, it was, we weren't taking much of the money, of the positive cash flow each month from the investment properties. It was pretty much being socked aside and then setting in an account for our LLC. So I had to make sure that I had plenty of savings that I had, you know, we looked at equity in our home and things like that and made sure that just all of the bills were tight and then having a plan for, you know, really being falling short for about 24 months. Hmm. And what I can tell you is the first four to six months are pretty easy because you're running on adrenaline and excitement and everything is fantastic and you still have some savings. Everything's looking good. Months, you know, six to 12, six to 15, they start getting a little tougher when that new wears off, that shiny wears off. And then it's like, okay, I got to get out of here and I got to grind. Getting around month 18, it got hard. You know, I felt like I wasn't progressing as fast as I needed to. Savings were starting to run out. Just things got really, really difficult and stressful. And there were points in time where I said, okay, because I mean, that was coming up around the holidays and it's like, okay, well, I got to buy Christmas gifts for my kids. It's like, do I need to take a part-time job at an Amazon warehouse at night so that I can do this? Taking a job stocking shelves at a grocery store. You know, what do I need to do to, you know, shorten that gap? And the best thing that I did was just tighten the belt and stick it out for the next couple of months. Because I'll tell you what, in month 23, it was like everything turned around. This switch just flipped. 
And, you know, it feels pretty good that your plan was right on the money, but it also, it didn't make it any easier in the moment, right? And months, again, 18 to 24 were so difficult and challenging that I almost gave up numerous times. And it was me reading books about entrepreneurs. Like if you've read Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, I mean, it's incredible that Nike even exists today as many months as they were just floating around and, you know, living off of, frankly, no credit. I mean, they were just writing bad checks left and right. It was crazy. So it was just that perseverance that kept me going. And I said, okay, if I can't make it by month 24, then I really do. Maybe I'm just not cut out for this and I need to go back to the W2 world. But that switch flipped one day, I was ready to roll. I love that you shared that and I appreciate you being vulnerable. It's super important to hear these types of stories because it doesn't necessarily get any easier when you leave the job. It's difficult. That's why most people stay in it, right? That's why most people stay in the job because of moments that you just described, because we all kind of write that out in our head. Like, okay, what if this happens? Like, what if it doesn't work, right? What if I get to month 18 and I, my plan hasn't hit, you know, what is that going to look like? My reputation, all that stuff goes through your head and you stuck it out. I would just be curious to know what was it? Cause a lot of people would have just gone back, right? They would have quit. You said you wanted to quit multiple times. Like, what was it that kept you going? You go in pride, but not in a great way. What I can tell you, one, it was, I didn't want to look like a failure in front of my family, Hmm. you know, in front of my wife. I was trying to set an example for my kids. And it was, you know, you go back and forth every day, like, okay, well, I'm setting an example of perseverance and working for yourself and being an entrepreneur. But then if I'm failing and I'm not doing the right thing to take care of my family, am I setting a bad example that way? And you get in this internal dialogue that is, it's so negative and you you just get in this nasty spiral. But being in real estate and more sales at that point, anytime anybody would ask how it was going, I always had to say, oh, it's going great. Things are fantastic because on the off chance that they wanted to buy or sell or knew somebody that wanted to buy or sell, I didn't want them to think that I was failing and I wasn't good enough to handle their referrals or their own personal business. I had to make it seem like I was more successful than I was. And so I'm kind of living the imposter syndrome. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have, have gone through that. And it was really, really difficult for a while, but I held on as long as I needed to. But a lot of it was just that ego of not wanting to tell people that I failed, that I couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Motivation. You know, motivation is strong. Why? Your family. Your family's a huge why. Definitely mine. And then you can't fail if you don't quit. You didn't quit. Right. So maybe you weren't quite there, but you stuck it through. I love it. It's such a great share. And I, I do appreciate you being vulnerable. Now tell me about, we were talking about a little bit of online and you mentioned it as well during when you were talking about, you know, building your portfolio is you learned a ton. And you put this into a book, if I'm not mistaken, all your, all your lessons. So talk about that a little bit and let's give the site for that as well. Sure. So I've always been very passionate about you know real estate and real estate investing and helping people through that because I think it's a phenomenal investment. And I understand that I'm a little biased because that's the business that I'm in. Yeah. It's like asking a life insurance salesman if you need life insurance. Absolutely, you do, right? <laughs> but I am super passionate about it. You know, I love the tax breaks. I love the freedom. I love the fact that it's a tangible asset that I can just drive over and go take a look at, right? Yeah. It's something fun for me. But I made a lot of mistakes on the front side, and I've tried to help a lot of new investors get into the business. And to help them kind of shorten and flatten that learning curve, 
I put together this book a while back, the 10 mistakes that every investor makes buying their first property. And it was going to be one of those, okay, it'll be a little passive income for me. I'll pop it on Amazon. I'll sell a few here and there. I'll go out and I'll promote it because I had done some Amazon self-publishing in the past on some different stuff. And it hit me one day that it was like, you know what? If I'm genuinely passionate about this, then it doesn't need to be a moneymaker. It's something that I just need to do to help people out. And so I completely pulled off any option of having a physical, tangible book. And I just made it an ebook and made it 100% free. I bought a cheap domain, 10investormistakes.com. And that's the number 10investormistakes.com. And anybody that wants it can go and they can download it instantly at no cost. Awesome. Awesome. I love that you're giving back and that happened to you as well. You know, you it did. To, I mean, I had so many great people in my corner along the way because I asked a lot of questions and probably an annoying amount of questions. <laughs> but I've been passionate about that. And I try to be super patient with all the new investors and trying to help you know give my knowledge as much as possible. But if I wanted to scale it, I couldn't sit down and just have lunch or drinks with you know thousands of different investors. So this was the next best thing to be able to get the information out there. Awesome. I love it. I would encourage all of you, if you're looking at getting into real estate, we talk a lot about real estate on this show. It's a great way to earn income and get out of that job and replace that income at some point. It's not going to happen overnight, but I would want to learn from someone who has 40 rental properties because that's a big portfolio for rental properties. So 10, the number 10, investormistakes.com. Luke, let's talk a little bit about what it looks like now for you. I know you just hit your 40th rental, but you got a real estate company and you got a team and you know, let's talk a little bit that. And then maybe I'll ask you to comment a little bit on the market because things have been, you know, a lot of things have been happening in the market too. And I, I just want to, I want to get a professional's insight on this. Sure. Sure. So things now, I mean, are fantastic. I've got 21 agents on my team and I still do some production on my own. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of my production are with invest- investors and developers. Mm-hmm. So my market has been very, very good and very investor friendly. That's where a big chunk of my business comes in. But most of it is about the agents that I work with because most of them are new in their business they're brand new to the industry within their first you know, one to three years out there. We've kind of made that our niche of helping people get into the business, showing them the way, providing high quality leads. I've got a great mentor, broker, and, and team leader above me who has shown me the ropes. And again, I'm trying to do everything I can to pass down information also. So like I said, I've had good people helping me and I want to be that for somebody else. Love it. Love it. Okay. And then you're comment. I mean, rates have, you know, been going up here. I mean, what's a while back, you know, a home was on the market. I'm in Chicago, you know, home was on the market for a couple of minutes and, you know, they were flying off the shelf. So talk to you about it as a real estate professional and then as an investor too, is it harder to find deals? So as a real estate professional, the market is definitely softening, but it's probably softening to levels to where it actually, where it needs to be. It's kind of the same thing with rates, right? Yeah. You know, where it, I think today we sit somewhere in the five to five and a half range, which compared to the 2.875 and the low threes that we've had, it seems astronomical. But historically speaking, we are still at, we're sitting down at the bottom of that trough, right? Yeah. So things are, are still very good. And I think people will feel that again. 
houses are, you know, back to a normal selling mode of seven, 10, 12 days, which is still historically very, very fast. I don't think people need to panic. I don't see a market crash. I definitely see a continued slight slowdown, but I don't see a crash at all. We don't have the same external factors that we had in 2008, 2009 that would cause supply to increase so much while simultaneously just decreasing demand like crazy. Of course, prices were, they had to plummet. It's just basic economic laws. We don't have those same things today. So I don't have a crystal ball, but I don't see a market crash at all. I think it's just going to normalize a little bit. It will make it a little easier and less stressful for both buyers and sellers. I agree. I don't have the crystal ball either. But you know, unfortunately, when things like interest rates start to go up and the markets fluctuate, people panic. And when they panic, mm-hmm. they make irrational decisions. And it's just like, just calm down. You know, well, we're unfortunately, we're in a 24-hour news cycle right now to where yeah. everything has to be news and we have to have some headline to grab people's attention because there's so many different sources out there. So everybody's competing for eyeballs. So you got to make those headlines as flashy as possible. And so it's if you're not really diving deep into it, it's very easy to feel like the sky is falling. Yeah, totally. You do a little bit of coaching too, don't you? You help with investors or agents or both? I don't really do any coaching outside. I mean, I've got some courses and things that I did that I was able, again, to kind of put some things out from a scale mm-hmm. perspective, helping agents who are new in the business or you know who are feeling a little stale and stuck and need to jumpstart. I've got a few on like, you know, some negotiation and communication, things like that. But as far as individual coaching, it's all just in my investor clients and then the new agents that are actually on my team. Nice. Nice. Have you had coaches? I know you had a mentor earlier. Do you believe in that? Is it something that you're- I am a firm believer in coaches. I think everybody needs to have some version of a coach or a mentor. And even if you feel like you can't afford it now, the access is there for what I call virtual mentors. It's find the larger people in the space, the Robert Kiyosaki's, the Grant Cardone's, Gary V's, Sharon Srivatsa's, all of these people that are out there, Tony Robbins, all of their stuff is everywhere between YouTube, podcasts, books, Go out and find it. Start learning from them. You know, one of my mentors who I've been fortunate enough to work with very closely, Sharon Srivatsa, he had this concept that he brought to me a couple of years ago, which I thought was awesome. He said, take one of these big virtual mentors mm-hmm. and just spend one month deep diving on everything that they do. Don't listen to anybody else. Don't try any other podcast. Don't do anything. Just deep dive on them just a month at a time. And then the next month, move on to somebody else. And it was incredible how much I was able to pick up in a month when I got that singularity of focus on one particular person that I was trying to emulate. And it saved me a boatload of money because coaches can be insanely expensive. But I do feel like that once you get to the point where you really need that granularity of detail of how do I get from A to B, not even really A to B, more like C to D, it's time to pull the trigger, take the leap and hire the coach. Yeah. Love it. Appreciate the share. Going back to when you felt like you might have to go back to your W-2 when things weren't working, is it safe to assume that feeling has permanently left you? It has, because I'll tell you what, during that time, I was a broken man. I mean, I, I felt just beat down and broken and I was just, I was torn. It was like, I knew the entrepreneurial route was where I needed to be, Yeah, but I also had eyes and online banking account. And I could see that something's got to give one way or another. But yes, that has left. I have found 
numerous ways to try to have little pieces of passive income here and there. And I've tried to stop relying on one particular source to make sure that as one slows, I've got another one that can pick up the slack in the interim. Yeah. Other than money, what were some of the other fears that you had, if any, around leaving your job? I was really afraid of how it would look to my kids if I broke out and I failed, hmm. which is crazy now because oh, I tell all my agents, you cannot be afraid to fail. And I've written a book on many of the failures that I've had. And you know, now seeing how those failures have made me stronger because I refuse to quit. But that was my big fear at the moment. It was that fear of failure. It kept me up at night. Yeah. Yeah. It's real. I had the same stuff. I still do. It never gets any easier. You know, you still have, you can be the most mentally sound person on earth, but you're still, you know, the old Brian is still on the shoulder, you know, talking to you like, Hey, you may not be able to pull this off. So which, which, which is good though. I think it's good to have the, just that little voice, that little bit of doubt that just keeps me motivated and keeps me going saying, I'm, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah, I agree. That's awesome. You know, I'm not going to ask you about your morning routine, but anything you do on a daily basis, whether it is something in the morning or any types of, of habits that really, that you feel make you successful or, or make you win the day. I write. I try to write a little bit every day. And whether it's writing emails, writing for books or courses, or, you know, just writing again, I go back to Sharon Srivatsa that we talked about earlier. He always says, fear has no place on paper. And it was just one of those. He was like, you know, if you just sit down and you just write everything that's in your head and everything that you're afraid of, it gets it out there and it's not so scary. And so that's what I'll do sometimes when I'm feeling overwhelmed is I'll just get a piece of notebook paper and I will just fill it with here are the things that I'm worried about. Here are the things that I'm stressing about. Here are the worst case scenarios that come out. And then you realize that most of it is not likely and much of it is not even true. Totally. Yeah. Journaling and scripting is huge. Just let the pen flow. Let it pour out of you. I love that you shared that. You mentioned the Shoe Dog book by Phil Knight. I recently read that book. Tremendous book. And he's a great storyteller as well. Yeah. And I couldn't put it down. I mean, I read that one pretty quickly and it's not a short book. No, um, not, but not in. just a really great story and a lot that I didn't know about him. Any other books that you really love? Because that's a great one. That's probably one of my top five. Sure. Love Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You know, no matter what you really think about the model or the method that he uses, it, he's kind of like the anti Dave Ramsey. And as long as you just take bits and pieces and use it almost like a buffet, I think that it's okay. I don't think either version is right or wrong in its totality. I think they both have valid points. The Arnold Schwarzenegger autobiography called Total Recall, hmm. really, really good. I always, I try to read that about once a year and it's super motivating just seeing just how goal oriented he was, yeah. you know, how he, he made his first million from real estate, not from acting or bodybuilding. I mean, which is just crazy. He had a lot of foresight a lot of guts, a lot of risk-taking, but I mean, the guy just set goals each and every year. And I think that's super important. Yeah. I never knew that about him till recently. I haven't read that one. I'm going to pick that up. I wrote that one down. Read one right now called The Upstream Model by Justin Stoddart. He's a real estate coach and it's he's all about for people like in the service industry, like mortgage brokers, real estate agents, insurance guys, people like that, just best ways to go through and gain referrals. I'm in the first third of it right now, but it's been really, really good. Beautiful. I love it. Thanks for sharing. So 
I know you wrote a book on the 10 investor mistakes, but everything that's happened in your life, especially since you left the W2, looking back, you know, hindsight is always 2020, but is there anything that you would have done differently? Oh, you know what? I probably, I would have started investing in real estate significantly earlier. Hmm. And I would have left my W2 quite a bit earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I've never been more happy and more fulfilled as when I left. Yeah. It's a great day for sure. Was that discussion difficult for you when you actually went in and told them like, Hey, I'm out. It was difficult. I was very nervous. I was prepared and I offered them because these were people that I did genuinely care about my team. You know, when I told my direct team, those that reported to me, I mean, I cried. I was like, I am so sad to leave you guys, but this is the right decision for me in my life. And when I went and talked to, you know, my director, we had a conversation and I said, I'm not here to leave you high and dry. I'm going to give you eight weeks so that you've got time to go out and recruit, find, and I can help. I'm willing to help train my replacement because you all are people that I care about. And it was absolutely the right thing to do, but it also kept me another eight weeks of income rolling in as I was trans. I didn't have to feel bad about you know, spending some time on real estate during the day, but I also had an extra eight weeks of income. Yeah. But it really was, it was the right thing to do to make sure that I wasn't leaving them in a bad spot. Yeah. That's the right way to handle it. So how did they react? And was that any different than how you drew it up in your head? Because it was very similar for me, everything that you're describing, but how did they react to it? They said, well, it's, they couldn't say that they were surprised. They knew I had an entrepreneurial spirit. They knew that I had a real estate license and I was doing things part-time. And they said that it was disappointing because they had actually had a meeting that morning that there were some large plans with me involved taking a much larger role and having a promotion. And to this day, I don't know if it was bluster trying to keep me or if it was genuine either way. I mean, it. I'd be lying if I said that I didn't have a quick second thought. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I just, I kept seeing this analogy of a slinky on the stairs. And it was just, you know, and I just thought about like these little stair step moments of, I get 5% this year, 5% next year, 10% the next year, 7%, 2%, 5%. It's just this little stair step. It's growth, but it's stair step growth. I don't need stairs. I need hockey sticks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Great. That's awesome. I love it. Same thing happened for me. I thought that they were, you know, how's the company going to go on without Brian, you know, and, and, you know, trying to talk yourself out of it really, but they were happy for me. They understood. I did give them some time. I stayed down for a couple months and, you know, at the end of the day, life goes on. Like the company's not going to go out of business because Brian left or because Luke left. Right. So I really appreciate your vulnerability. Again, I know I've said it like, you know, ad nauseum here, but this is the type of stuff that people need to hear who are thinking about this, who are thinking about leaving a job that they just don't like, you know, and they want to do something else and pursue their dream. So you got a bunch of nuggets here, folks. Any parting thoughts, any final thoughts that you have or anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to share? Just do it. I mean, just take the, I mean, have a plan. I'm not saying just go in tomorrow and tell your boss to piss off and yeah. walk out the door, have a plan in place. But if it's something, life's too short. 
I mean, to be unhappy and to be miserable and don't mistake the freedom and the joy and the love for that every day is going to be absolutely perfect and blissful. I mean, it's just like a marriage, right? Some days are going to be harder than others. Mm-hmm. Some days you're there just because you made a promise that you would be. But at the end of the day, that's still the right place for you. And so there's never going to be a right time. There's never going to be a perfect time. And you can't let perfect get in the way of good enough because you'll fall into this trap. I mean, it's just like for me, before I was getting ready to do some of the courses that I was doing, I said, okay, well, I'll do them once I get, I need to get a better microphone and a better camera and a better light and everything else. And it was just, those were all just procrastination methods. Those were things that I was doing to push off the inevitable because I was too afraid to take that leap. And once I did, it's been phenomenal. It's another great source of income for me. And I'm helping a ton of people getting that good, solid feedback and a little bit of extra money in my account helps me realize I didn't need the camera. I didn't need the microphone. I didn't need the light. I just needed me and to believe in myself. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. You're crushing it. I get get passionate about this stuff and I I go off on tangents. No, I love the tangent. I mean, speaking from the heart, you know, that's what we all need to hear. and, And this is real stuff. So that's a great way to end it. I'm going to give the site again, 10investormistakes.com. If anybody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? If they go to my website, lukeandrews.us, they can connect with me on social through there. They can get a link to the 10 Investor Mistakes book. They can email me directly, luke at lukeandrews.us. They can go. I answer all of my own emails. So if you've got questions about, hey, I'm struggling with this piece of it, or I'm really afraid to make the leap, reach out. I've had a lot of great people in my corner help me out, and I've been willing to pay that forward and try to help out as many as I can. Yeah, super appreciative of that. Reach out to Luke, folks. He's been there, done that. He's got a lot of knowledge. I mean, this has been a tremendous conversation. Luke, thanks so much for spending the time. Really appreciate it, everyone. Make it a great day. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the W2 Prison Break Show. Don't forget, you can watch all full video episodes on our YouTube channel. Definitely check that out and please subscribe. Go to w2prisonbreak.com to learn more. If you like this show, please leave us a rating and review so we can continue to support you and the thousands of others planning their W2 prison break. Here's to you busting out.